this though. What's the coolest piece of memorabilia in this building? Oh, the coolest piece. You guys have the Sousa archives. We have the Sousa arch. I mean, that that's it's a hard. Cool that's office. a really hard question. Just because I mean, we have seventy five percent of Sousa's belongings here. Okay. Um, and then so that goes with many of his players too. So we have Herbert Clark's cornet, which I think is a cool thing. Um, we have tons of Silver War horns that are all the over the shoulder horns that we pull out. I mean, that's that's a difficult question. It's it's the original manuscript to so many of Sousa's marches. Really. El Capitan, you know, Stars and Stripes. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, that's... I mean, was there anything when you came in here that was surprising to you that you guys have here that you're allowed to say publicly? Um, you know, Harding's desk, some of the old batons, um, let me see if there's something just really off the wall bizarre. (laughs) Uh, I don't know, we may have one of Hinesley's pipes. Wow. He used to smoke pipe in here quite a bit, and one of the, you know, tales is after 10:30 at night here in the building, things get a little strange, um, <laughs> uh, and you know, spend a lot of time in here after after hours, especially yeah. during the fall season. And um, first first couple of, when I was a grad student here is when I first noticed that my office was upstairs right next to the Sousa archives, and started hearing all these all these noises and. As far as I knew, I was the only one in the building. Um, so, you know, supposedly Sousa, Harding, and Hinesley are still around, and you start to hear different things at 1030, and every once in a while you get a whiff of, of the pipe smoke. Oh, weekly poker um, game. Yeah, yeah, right, right. I imagine they're really um, judgmental, too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know, I know, right? So it's it's a little little strange. That's sort of, yeah, my first couple of years I was deathly afraid, and now it's just like, yeah, sorry I suck at this, guys. I'm trying. <laughs> you guys left a really huge legacy here. I'm just trying my best, okay? It's always great when you got four pictures, you know, in the yeah, hallway, yeah, too, yeah. that stare at you. But <laughs> can, can you, um, and, and if, it, if it makes sense to talk about it, yeah, cool, if not... What led you? Because your 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 experience started here as a grad student, yes. correct? Yeah. Can you talk to us about the timing of that and what led you to the decision to to go back to school and to specifically choose U of I and how you got started here? Yeah. Um, you know, I grew up, and I don't want to go too far back and waste everyone's time, but I think a lot of it. I grew up in northern Indiana, so you know, knew the Midwest very well. Um, and came to drum major camp when Gary Smith uh, was director of the marching line here at you know University of Illinois, and that's where the camp was. So my first experience with the campus was as a sophomore in high school to get drum major training. Um, actually came here with a broken leg. I played baseball, got a line drive to uh, third base, and it shattered my femur. And my mom called Gary, and of course Gary's like, sure, come on along, it'll be great. It, it, you know, it was kind of a horrible experience, but... <laughs> But uh, really loved the camp. So that was my first exposure to the University of Illinois. Uh, But ended up going to Florida for my undergrad. And then I taught in Florida for a couple years. And then came back to the Midwest, taught in Indiana, where my family's originally from. Uh, But continued to teach at the camp. I've been with the Smith-Walbridge Clinics for over 25 years now. And um, so continued to stay in contact with a lot of folks that, that taught here at the university. Um, and that goes back to even Michael Ewald when he was professor of trumpet here before he passed. 
Um, and then Pete, when he got the job here, uh, so Pete really was the one that made the phone call uh, when I was teaching in Indiana saying, you know, you've been teaching for almost 10 years now in the public schools. It's probably time to come do grad work, which I was like, ah, yeah, I know I've been trying to do this, but I don't want to leave. Sure. I love this job. Um, but he said, well, if you want to do this, Keen's going to be retiring soon. And I said, okay. So Keen, for whatever reason, made the exception because his degree uh, was not they didn't, they didn't have a conducting degree here, especially for the master's level. Mm. So came here and did master's work in conducting, and um, it was really gracious of him to do that. I, I thought I was just the most horrible educator, though, because I got ripped to shreds in every, every lesson, but, you know, that was, that was Professor Keene. Sure. And when I think, you know, I got to know him a little bit more, realized, okay, uh, I don't truly suck at this. I have a lot to learn still, but he was doing this for, for the right reasons. Um, so that relationship really developed uh, extensively. Well, a lot of changes took place. That's when Keen retired, um, and a lot of changes in music ed and in the director or the school of music as well. And so uh, the job opened up down at Eastern Illinois, the associate director of bands, and Milt Allen was there as the director of bands, and I got to know him because the Smith Walbridge camps moved down to Eastern. So got to know their faculty really well, and something had happened with their search, so he said, I would love if you came on board as the associate director of bands. I said, well, I'm not necessarily done with grad school yet. He said, is that gonna be a problem? And he said, no. So um, I was only a year in here, but Keen wasn't gonna be coming back because he was gonna retire that year. So I finished up grad work the following year while being the associate director of bands at, at Eastern. And then that's when Milt Allen went to Ohio State and I filled in as acting director of bands and associate director of bands. It just was all, all crazy. Mm. Um, and the third year, got a phone call from um, the University of Illinois. And they said, uh, Pete Griffin is stepping down. He's going to be taking the chair position at Elmhurst, which I was just kind of taken aback. I'm like, what? You know, University of Illinois without Pete? No way. And so I gave a lot of thought because I really, really started to build something we thought was really great at Eastern and sure. getting some great numbers and building that marching band and building just the, the band program in general. And uh, looked at it a little bit more, talked with a lot of folks. And so we made, made the jump. And uh, that phone call was was really kind of a uh, an interesting part of the process that originally was just going to be kind of an appointed position. Okay. And so that turned into a national search, which never really have gone through that before. You know, as a public educator, it's kind of like, well, okay, you just apply for the job. Yeah, you don't yeah. have this national search about stuff. Um, so went through that process and um, got the job. Okay. How old were you then at that point? Um, youngest band director in the Big Ten. Okay. So that was, um, I was 31, 30, 31 or 32 at that time. Did, so, did you so. walk in with complete confidence every single day? Um, <laughs> um, I, think I, get, I think I get more insecure every day of my life as I really? walk into this building and just, you know, you know, as you all know, you realize more and more what we don't know in music mm -hmm. and in the overall scope of things. You come out of college and you think, all right, I feel pretty good about things. I've had great experiences and, you know, I feel like my teaching's good. Um, but you realize that this, this music thing is really just, when we're done with our career, it's just maybe we've reached a small speck of dust in the entire world of what music could be. So yeah. I think every day that goes by, I realize more and more what I, I don't know. Um, so not that that's a insecurity and no, you know no, disables reality, you by any right, means, but know. I think it's something that it just makes me realize more and more. Just we gotta constantly be learning 
this this art and this craft every every day not just from conducting and you know listening to music of all types of genres uh, but you know the, as you guys know the variety of different teaching techniques that we have to have with this up-and-coming generation and how it's so different than even when we went through um, you know it was kind of still a little bit of that old-school mentality of you go to school you listen you listen from your teachers your teachers tell you to do this you do it now these students think a little bit differently to where they question yeah. well why do I need to do this and not in a disrespectful way but sure. they just really want to know well why do I need to know that so well let me ask you so um, this clearly was a very visible program, historic program. Um, yeah. Had to have been interesting to a very high number of really fine candidates. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's, you know, I'm not making, uh, not making an attempt to make you uh, sound <laughs> egotistical, uh, but you have to have done some things to set yourself apart as a really, they called you. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty cool thing. They called you in the midst of a national search. So, you know, in your time here and in your time teaching uh, in Indiana, again, you're probably going to try to be humble, but if you could just maybe talk to us about what are some of the things that you think set you apart uh, from the rest of the pack? And just in the sense that that, I'm sure, would be helpful for people who are trying to get their first job or trying yeah. to go get, you know, a, a different job, searching for that dream job. Or this job. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think that's a great question, and I think so much of it I, I often wonder, and, you know, I think the thought crosses my mind almost every day of, how did this really happen? Um, and I'm glad it did, but there's still times where you think about, was there was there someone that made a call that just you know I think we've all had some of those people in our lives that have maybe helped us get that specific job that we thought we really want but didn't know if we could ultimately get so I think there was there was some of that um, I, I'm gonna chalk a lot of it up though uh, I was very fortunate that um, my time at University of Florida was a wonderful time in music education and in performance. And we got to do a lot of really great things playing at, you know, CBDNA National Conference, playing at ABA conventions and things like that. So just the performance aspect, and I guess this is a part that maybe I would hit home for those that are listening that are looking at, you know, majoring in music. Um, music education has really changed over time from when we went through. And a lot of it is the approach of how can we address the the 80% of our population versus the 20% of our population that really participates in music. And I understand that. I'm not going to, you know, try and knock anything with music ed, but I think one of the things that we've lost a uh, little grasp of is that musicianship and making sure that as a music ed major, we're not really considered, you know, a second tier player. We should really hold ourselves to the same level that our performance majors do. And I think in a lot of music ed programs, um, and not every one of them, mm -hmm. but I think in a lot of them, we've kind of said, well, you're a music ed major, so we're going to let you be at this level. Where, you know, my trumpet teacher at the time, she was president of the International Trumpet Guild, and she could care less what your major was. That if you were in her studio, you better be playing at a high level. Yeah. And if you weren't prepared for your lesson, you were kicked out. And we just knew that not of the studio forever, but it's like you wouldn't have a lesson. So I think there was a lot of discipline that was instilled there and just the level of excellence uh, was very significant. But the teaching component, again, a great framework like we all had in, in terms of music ed training um, at Florida, but 
um, where I was placed for my student teaching, uh, these, these two ladies have been teaching for 23 years already and just master teachers. They were at one of the best high school programs in the state of Florida. And for whatever miraculous reason, I was able to be placed there. I still don't know how that happened, but boy, am I thankful. <laughs> and my butt got kicked every day, but I learned so much of just work ethic. Uh, it was normal, you know, like we all have spent, you know, to make it a 12-hour day, but it never felt like 12 hours. It felt like, oh my gosh, it's time to go already? Ah, we've got so much work to do. Um, so I learned a lot from them, and that really set the tone, I think, in terms of the framework of my teaching truly in public schools, um, which allowed uh, the, the following places that I went to to, I think, grow exponentially, both musically in the size of the numbers, and we were able to do some really great things um, on regional, national levels. Um, and it wasn't always about trophies, and I know we talk about that a lot in music ed, that it's really about the people and how we can impact them, but um, there was some great success along the way. And I think due to that early on, that may have created a little, I don't know, uh, awareness of the folks that were around, um, surrounding ourselves with great people. We've always been told that. So that's something that I always continue to do and learned a lot from Gary Smith as a mentor and became very networked, you know, just through him. Um, and then obviously Professor Keene and then the time down at Eastern. So it just kind of all, I don't know, snowballed in a good way uh, to create this, this wonderful experience and to teach here at the University of Illinois and to talk about these things where a lot of university professors, and not knocking anybody by any means, but you don't find that same experience anymore. I'm not saying that I'm the most experienced by any means, but a lot of times you see university professors that have gone straight through from their undergrad to their sure. master's to their doctoral program. And then we're talking about how we should be teaching in a public school classroom when sometimes many of them have not stepped in a classroom. Yeah. So that's, um, that's kind of how it is with, with sometimes high school administration too. Yeah. And, and not at art like we are administrators. Actually, do have a lot of public yeah. school teaching, but yep. I know some places it's you know, absolutely I've taught for two years and I'm ready to run this ready building. to run this run this building <laughs> right right. So it's it's I think it's difficult to share those experiences. I think the street yeah. credit is very important, especially with our students when they know that well oh, um, you know something I share with my I taught in five buildings every day. My job in Indiana initially three elementary schools, a middle school, and a high school. Talk about being in the trenches. Yeah, um, you know you learn a lot. You learn a lot about what you don't know, but you also learn how to teach in a variety of ways when you're dealing with elementary students, middle school students, and then high school students. So I learned a lot through through that experience as well. Sure. So so you're you're good at getting people in your program. It sounds like everywhere you've been. Um, and what's the size of the marching band here now? Well, we we have set instrumentation. Okay. Um, so um, since my time here, we kind of you know it's this. There's a lot of traditions here with this being the nation's <laughs> first collegiate band program, and I was hesitant with things at first of changing things. And we've kept pregame, and then three and one is the celebrating their 90th anniversary, uh, sure. which is a pretty cool thing too. Um, 10 years uh, older than Script Ohio. Uh, so just throwing that in there just a little bit, but you know. Um, <laughs> which Script Ohio, yeah, Script Ohio was created by the University of Michigan, by the way, too. And then, okay, anyway. <laughs> um, but uh, we started to get so many students auditioning. And, you know, it's the, the battle between the music educational mission and then the performance practice. Sure, and I think sure. that's our biggest thing that we uh, that I fight every day. 
Um, but those numbers started to increase and it was really great. And part of that is we'd started doing a lot of outreach. And uh, my first couple of years, we even did some satellite auditions to where I would go to some schools up north. We'd set up audition times. We'd go to some places in central Illinois, southern Illinois as well, and just started to get the word that, you know, this is something that doesn't matter if you're from, you know, the very best program or the most horrible program. We can find gems of students no matter where you go. And I think just getting to those students and finding them and letting them know that this University of Illinois is a place for everyone, not just, you know, no offense to our suburb schools, but a lot of people think there's just a direct line there. And we love that relationship. We do. But we get a lot of students from across the state. And I think that's something that's opened up a lot more. And even throughout the country now with the digital age, um, the marching line I used to be very much comprised of just students from Illinois. And now we have 20 states represented. And, you know, there have been years where we've had three different countries mm-hmm. even included. So um, numbers have increased. We have a set instrumentation of 375. Okay. We'll do 276 for pregame and 3-in-1. And for halftime, we'll grow that up to about 340. Um, we do have alternates. Um, we do that on purpose. So there's never a hole in anything that we do. Um, and a lot of halftime has become a little bit more music educationally oriented to where it's in the modern era of what our music ed majors are going to be dealing with when they go teach, whereas everything else is squad-based. Okay. Uh, the old-school four-person squads, and that's how you would learn your drill. And that's how halftime used to be as well. So now everything is dot-based for halftime, and uh, we keep that instrumentation at 375 primarily because we're at seven completely full charter coaches. If we grow anymore, we're going to have to move to eight sure. and budget. Budget really controls well, that. And you said earlier you saved some money yeah. moving all digital. Is yes. that something you can talk about? Yeah. Um, we've really kind of, I don't know, Ohio State has really kind of started things uh, with the use of iPads. They purchased an iPad for every student in the in the Ohio State marching band. And it really kind of got us all thinking a little bit differently. Sure. And I thought that was really a great thing. And John Waters was a great friend of mine, um, is a great friend of mine, um, when he was the director there. And um, they have 225 members. So significantly smaller than we are, and that's their that's their tradition. So that's a lot cheaper. Um, we looked at purchasing I, leasing iPads, and it was going to be sixty thousand dollars a year for four years, and to spend two hundred forty thousand dollars and then have to purchase them again because the technology gets yeah. outdated just didn't seem. That's what um, you make in a very, month. <laughs> yeah, yeah, way to go! Yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> that's about right. Didn't seem the most sustainable, so. Um, we did a quick survey of our students to see, you know, how many of you have a smart device? Sure. And most of them do. Um, so what we did the first year that we did this several years ago was that we made it available. Uh, we would print it out if they wanted to. Uh, very few wanted that. Um, we also had PDFs, so if they okay. had something, uh, a tablet or something they wanted to do. So long story short, we've kind of pushed things along, and now all of our drill, all of our music, everything is completely digital. And we're saving about $30,000 per year because we're not printing a single sheet of paper um, for drill, for music. And you may think, how are we spending that much? Well, again, you look at doing eight different halftime shows yeah. for 375 people, the staff to print, copy, cut, put all that stuff into flip folders. I mean, it just was a huge operation that we used to have a large library staff. Um, so um, this is saved significantly. And what we're able to do in terms of rehearsal efficiency um, has just grown exponential as well. I mean, it's, it's crazy that um, instead of printing drill, having drill a week before we start learning it, 
Um, I can literally write drill, and if there's something I don't like, I can change it, sure. and it's not going to cost us more. We just upload the new version. It's there. It's also great because we can do instant video feedback. If there's a form not working, we can videotape from the from the tower that we have and then just upload that into Dropbox and they can view it right there on the spot. So it's changed how we learn things. We learn shows much faster. Uh, we can easily knock out 25 pages of drill uh, for a show each week um, and you know turn around three different charts mm -hmm. for each show that we do as well. Most of the shows we do are one week shows. Uh, so we have an hour and a half rehearsal each day. And so to get that much drill, that, mu that much music out, it's, it's yeah. pretty significant. Well, I'm, I'm sold on that. I'm just imagining the kid raising their hand saying, my drill ran out of battery. Oh, right, know, right. Or I broke my drill. Yeah, I broke my drill. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and I know a lot of, big, a lot of folks have asked the question, well, what about rain? Well, it's the same thing, you know, if you've got your flip folder out there, you're, it's going to get wet. So, you know, you can use a life-proof case and spend 80 bucks on it, but you know what? Those plastic glad bags are fantastic because yeah, you can just put that on and it just it protects it. So, Well, I'm yeah. curious uh, if you have any thoughts on the, the trends uh, and the changes over the years. It feels like it's changing every year. Who is this, a competitive marching competitive band? Competitive marching band. Yeah. So you've got... You've got you, Kids from all different kinds of programs all over the state, all over the country coming to you. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, you know, one, just if you have any opinions on competitive marching band in general, um, what it's like to bring kids from so many different kinds of programs together mm -hmm. into the marching Illini. What are the challenges? What are the, you know, advantages yeah. of that? Um, and really, that's it. Yeah. I think that's. <sighs> That's kind of a million dollar question right there, just because uh, when you look at how music education looks at competition, and that's something that, you know, as an institution here that we're always looking out for our students and seeing what is the, what is the best approach. And, you know, I think I'm probably not going to say I'm conflicted about it, because I think I'm a, I'm a fairly big fan of the competitive marching band, but how it's done. And I think that's the most important part. And you, you'll find, you know, as you guys know, that some of the most successful programs aren't talking. I go back to that again. It's about, you know, people, not trophies. And you'll find out that they're not out there saying, oh, yeah, we're, we're doing this because we're going to get first place. Um, it just so happens based on the product that they put out there, they end up being recognized for that excellence. Um, I think I would be kind of a two-faced individual if I would say anything against competitive marching band because I'm a product of it. I mean, I grew up in Indiana, yeah. and it, boy, woo, not saying that Indiana is the most competitive state by any means, but my gosh, it's I, just, I, it it, it, <laughs> I grew I mean, up, close. Yeah. Every, every weekend in the fall was dedicated to going to a, or if not two, contest. And did when you, I, did, I'm sorry, did you have a competitive program I, when you were I teaching? I did, I did, yeah, like when I first got there moving up from Florida, um, the program was doing two contests every weekend from Labor Day all the way through, you know, when ISMA finals would end at the end of October. But then if you did anything with Bands of America, you'd be going well into November. Um, so I think the difficult part was talking a lot with our, our students got it, but oftentimes it was the parents mm -hmm. and making sure that they realized that, yes, this, this is a culture that we're creating but this culture isn't always about winning. It's about the process, what we're doing to make ourselves better as musicians, as marchers. Um, and we've had to find ways 
Um, you know, this was a medium-sized school that I taught at, and we were in rural Indiana. It was 20 minutes south of Elkhart, music capital of the world. It was fantastic. Um, and if you know of the Concord program where Max Jones used to teach, they had a, a book, I think the American Band was wrote off, you know, wrote about that program. He was a great mentor to me. Um, and um, in, in looking at that, we were in the heart of Amish country. On the one side, of, you know, people talk about the other side of the railroad tracks. Well, the other side of railroad tracks for us was Amish country, <laughs> and the rest was like, you know, modern day, here we are. Um, which was a weird thing at first, but ended up being the coolest thing. When I went to go interview there, I mean, I'm driving along, and all of a sudden there's a horse and buggy next to me. I'm like, what are you supposed to do? But it ended up being so cool because it was a great you know, work ethic. These students grew up giving a lot of their time. They were hardworking and um, learned learned a lot about that time there. And those students were just absolute gems. So we did compete a lot. But every year I asked them, do you want to do this? How extensive do we want to do this? We had to find a balance of how can we integrate our football crowd. If we're going to do an artistic show that year, is that going to go well yeah. with a state champion football team that we had and the crowd that would normally, you know, attend that? And not to second guess them or make them feel any, you know, highbrow, lowbrow by any means. But you know, we tried to incorporate some really fun shows, but something that would also translate well on the competitive field. I think right now, as you look at things, as things continue to evolve, it's crazy how how artistic it's gotten, and that's, I think, a good thing in a lot of ways. Um, I think some of the things, the culture has almost created an identity all of itself that continues to reinvent itself. And sometimes I wonder if we, as an art form, continue to reinvent ourselves so much that we've almost gotten away from what we're really about that we become so highbrow and so high art that no one understands it, so it must be good because no one understands it. <laughs> but then you've got the other side where there's a lot of programs still doing just, you know, your traditional competitive show, if you will, still very theme-oriented. Um, those programs that experiment with, we're going to write the drill first, and then we're going to have a, you know, music arranger or music composer come in and then write a show to this. And do th does that work? Um, does it not work? I, I just I think there's a lot more that people are taking risk on, and I think DCI has been one to DCI and WGI has done a lot to really push the envelope. Um, I think my bigger concern here at Illinois now is uh, reinventing a culture for those that come from a competitive program to let them know that we appreciate that. And we have a lot of students that um, come from a competitive background. We have a lot of students that participate in drum corps. But letting them know and realize we are very true to the mission that it's about entertainment through excellence here. Our job when Lovey Smith is trying to fill Memorial Stadium, we're there to create a very electric atmosphere. And if we go out there and we do this avant-garde show, yeah. we're, we're going to lose them. Um, and an example of that, I think, is this past fall. I, I was really nervous because I felt like all of a sudden I was going a little bit back to my public school teaching days. We did a show with the Canadian Brass. It was fantastic, and I knew for our students, it was really going to push the envelope for them on the musical side of things and just to be able to perform with the Canadian Brass. But how was this going to go over in a collegiate football stadium? And, man, I'm going to give our audience credit. You could have heard a pin drop. I was a little nervous of that at first, but I thought, <laughs> they hate it. They hate it. But Canadian Brass came out, 
we did our thing, put on a great show, and people just raved about that show. So I think there's two sides to look sure. at it that we want to entertain, but it doesn't always have to be this hokey stuff out there that we can push the limit even with some of our entertainment audiences and maybe we should give them a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt that they can hold on to some of those things. So if we can go further, yeah. what, what do you say the hypothetical band director that dreads the local parades that they have to do mm. every year? Why are those important? And I, and I think especially, not, not even the old curmudgeons, but the new teachers going out there. Yeah, um, you know, I think one of the things that we have to realize is you know, whatever our passion is with doing this job, that there are a number of things that we just have to do. And I think the more that you do some of those parades, you're, you're integrating your, your community and you're integrating your band program into the community that you're buying an audience in a lot of ways just by showing up and doing those things and in a lot of ways creating advocates for your program. You may not have someone that's going to come to a band competition that's going to see your band at this parade and be like, wow, we have a really great band just because you marched in that parade. And especially if you take some pride in doing that parade performance. I know a lot of times, and I think we're all guilty of it, sometimes there's that parade that we have to do. Is oh gosh. And you even <laughs> let your students know that and say, yeah, okay guys, here we go, we're going to do that parade. So we're going to throw this together really quickly. And sometimes I think our approach impacts our students so much for the good, for the positive, for the negative, and how we approach those things can really impact our students for the better of taking maybe a little bit more pride in doing that homecoming parade that may be a lame time of day or doing this community festival. Um, I know for us, even here at the collegiate level, one of the things that we've done, we've done a lot more with community parades. Um, we went to Greenville, Illinois, and Greenville, Illinois celebrated their 200th anniversary a couple years ago. Why did we do that? Well, we got asked and it worked out, but um, you know, DeMoulin Brothers is there and they, they make our uniform. It was a great chance to interact with the history of our program. We, uh, you know, dedicated or we gave them one of our old uniforms and they put it in their Hall of Fame, if you will. But there's a lot of pride that, that established and there's a lot of people that work there in that community that took pride and understood that by the marching line coming to their town, that meant something to them. And it wasn't just some hokey parade. And we have a long talk with our students about why we do some of these things. We, we visited a number of high schools and we've done just a football game with that high school. Why? Um, an example is Wilmington. We went to Wilmington High School and people said, well, why, why would you do that? It's a small town, small high school, small band. Well, you know what? That program, um, and I, this, I don't want this to sound egotistical. This is really our students making this work. That program was really decreasing in size, and there was probably more pressure on the administration of why, why do we even have a band? Yeah. Well, you know, we did that because we wanted to infuse this power of music education of what this can do, that if you continue on in music, in middle school, in high school, look what you get to do beyond that. And if we don't have those programs, we're not going to have a marching Illini. And so that program has grown exponentially since that time because they got excited about it. They saw what we could do, that band could be fun, the community saw that. And so I think it's some of those things that we have to really realize as, as young directors that there's a lot of things we have to do that we don't really have on our agenda, but by doing those things, it's going to help your agenda sure. in the long run. Sure. So 
let, let's say 375 members, but it sounds like more than that because of the alternate. Yeah. And there's one of you. So student leadership. Yeah. What uh, what do you do? What can you suggest for people to do in their own programs that haven't done this before? And you can do a Smith Walbridge commercial. Right, right, yeah. Well, they all go to Smith Walbridge. No, um, you know, I think that's one of the things that, and I'll, I'm going to talk about Smith Walbridge here because I think with our student leaders, a lot of them initially thought, well, if I'm not a Smith Walbridge drum major, or I didn't go to Smith Walbridge, then I don't have a chance. And that's the first thing that I let our students know. I said, I don't care if you, you know, went to George Parks, if you went to Music for All, if whatever. I said, these are all great experiences. And, you know, I think the, the cool part about Smith Walbridge was it was the first camp of its kind uh, where thousands of people would flock to Syracuse, Indiana, an old campground, and they would do 12 weeks of camp. It's where the National Cheerleading Association came out of. The first baton twirling camp came out of it. So it's how Fred J. Miller started. Mm -hmm. They were instructors there. Uh, Doug Kaiser's camp that he does at Indiana State, which is excellent. Um, he's a product of Smith Walbridge. So, I mean, you look at that. Uh, George Parks, when he was alive, there was a great friendship and relationship between the camps. Um, so, you know, uh, I look at those as it doesn't matter. These are all great experiences that our students can experience. Um, student leadership, it's, 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 it, we have to have it here. Um, we are one of the largest marching bands in the Big Ten Conference, and we have the fewest numbers of faculty and staff assigned to this ensemble. Um, most programs will at least have another faculty member assigned to it, um, and they may take on some of the other athletic band responsibilities because it's not just the marching Illini in the fall. You have volleyball band, you have basketball band, you have men's and women's basketball. We play for gymnastics, we play for tennis, we play for wrestling. I mean, all those Olympic sports, it's, it's extensive. So without student leadership, we could not do what we really need to do on a weekly basis. Um, our leadership training is, is taking place every day. Um, we do have an interview process that takes place uh, at the end of the season, but that's really just kind of the, the end official part of the process where we've been watching this leadership develop every day from when they first stepped on, you know, on this campus. Um, we do a lot of leadership training, um, a lot of it in terms of the, the typical, okay, here's our mission, here's our goals, here's what we accomplished last year, what are we going to do this year, how are we going to become better teachers? So our students are leading some of our music sectionals, we have music section leaders, we have marching visual section leaders, and we will break each of those sections up. Um, we have six section leaders for the trumpets, which may seem like a lot, but we have 70 trumpets. So, you know, we, when you look at that breakdown, we, we, we have to. Oh, that's a lot of ego. It's a whole lot of ego. Um, you know, so when you look at that, um, we do a lot of leadership training. So the spring is the time for that to happen. We will generally do about six to eight different student staff meetings throughout the spring. And then we have a student staff workshop that takes place before our preseason camp, which is a week before classes start here. Um, so they're in the thick of it, but part of it is because this thing's been around for so long, we're passing down that lineage. Every time you're hearing the same thing and how we're actually perfecting how we teach, we've used a lot with technology, um, with the Coach's Eye app. I don't know if you've heard of that. Yeah, it's a great it's thing like that was John developed Madden. for coaches. Like yeah, you can John Madden up, you can mark things, you can turn any video into slow motion. So when we're looking at, we, we do, um, so many different steps here in the Big Ten, but here even at Illinois, we do fast chair, we do ankle knee forward, uh, we do glide step. Uh, again, the list just goes on and on with 
what we do. So that is so different from what most high school programs do. So how do you teach that? How do you learn to do that? So we're constantly videotaping and really using that coaches app, coaches eye app to really just here's what it looks like as opposed to talking about it all the time. Um, we talk a lot about not just speaking at your section but modeling and then letting them do things to make sure that they, you know, they're going to fail the first time, but let them keep doing that. So we talk about that learning process a lot along the way. Um, so it's, it's very extensive uh, training that we do, but it's, it's a must. It's, we have to have that student leadership and just so proud of those individuals. Um, 32 uh, student leaders is what we have for the entire marching Illini in terms of section leaders, but then that also breaks down into squad leaders. Okay. So there's a squad leader then that's uh, responsible for four additional people. Okay. Um, and they're really the eyes and the ears on the ground that will be taking a look at what's going on in terms of music memorization for our shows, in terms of what's going on for drill. Is our uniform on correctly? You know, kind of being the, the parent uh, to take a look and make sure that everything's good. You've got... Um High school experience, mm -hmm. collegiate experience, to someone who maybe is starting college uh, and trying to decide what what level do I want to teach, middle school, high school, college? Mm -hmm. What are some of the biggest differences in your day-to-day -day life as a collegiate band director, and what advice do you have to someone who's maybe trying to make that decision if that's the direction they want to go? Yeah, yeah. I think just from a generic standpoint, you know, teaching is teaching. And I think we all know where our heart and passion is in this profession. And it may be based on a specific age group. And I know, you know, my wife, um, before we had our kids, she was a middle school band director. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you have a special place. I don't know how, I mean, I, and I taught middle school and I, and I liked it. I liked it. I love He's teaching the elementary, right, right, right. <laughs> you can only see the visual part sure, of that. But, but the elementary, I love teaching beginners. I absolutely love that, and I knew you know, high school was fantastic. So I thought, making this jump to the collegiate level, you, you look at so many of the great collegiate band directors that have been out there, and oh, I guess I need to act that way. And I thought it was gonna be this major jump, uh, this major jump from things. But it's, it's amazing how what we do on a regular basis at whatever level is applicable to no matter what level you're teaching. I mean, these, these students, they're great. They really are. But they're also, my future is dependent upon 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 year olds. And if they don't want to do something, you know, it's the same thing that we have at the high school level or at the middle school level. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that they face that's a lot different than high school, middle school, because they have a lot more independence and so forth. So I think finding the the line of where are you involved and where are you not involved um, is a more challenging thing as we get into this this generation. As I think we find more and more, whether it be an awareness or just even the fact of these students come, you know, from maybe backgrounds to where there's more depression. Um, the number of, and I'm not trying to get all dark here by any means, but I think it's just the fact of the reality of where we are with um, suicidal attempts, um, where we are just from the mental aspect and the well-being of these students is a different framework than whatever, whatever um, I remember before, um, either myself as an undergrad going through college or even in the beginning years of teaching college. I mean, it's just been... It's changed significantly mm -hmm. to where we're more aware of that and we have to look out for that and it's more about the well-being of, of where they are. Um, we have a saying, some of our students don't like it, but 
you know, it's just banned. And this has really come about because of many of these situations that we face. We've been very fortunate here that we haven't faced some of the scrutiny or some of the um, charges with sexual assault, sexualized culture of some of the marching bands that are out there. And even when it comes to um, drinking, drugs, things like that, we've been very fortunate, whether our students are just smarter about it. it I'm not going to be, you know, make it seem like we're the purest thing out there and we don't have problems because I think every, every band program does. Um, but when we look at it, we're very proactive about it. And this is something that's a little different than what I did when I taught in high school. Sure. Because we don't have a guidance counselor that you, you send them down to. Or even in teaching high school, you were always there for your students. But, you know, you also had parent organizations or other teachers that could be there for some support. Um, there are things here that sometimes this is the only thing that they can vent yeah. Um, so in dealing with that, just how we deal with that effectively, I think is more pressing than ever before. So part of our preseason camp training, it's not just about music and marching. It's about health and well-being. We talk about, you know, the hazing culture that so many band programs have been through. And as soon as that 91, 92 page report came out of Ohio State, we sat down as a marching band and we said with the student leaders first, and they said, guys, I don't know everything that goes on, but whatever you know is taking place, we just can't do it anymore. And here are things what what is really considered hazing. So we have workshops that talk about that a lot, and it's amazing how so many of the things that we've all been through that we thought is just normal, um, we we can't do that anymore. You know, even just using the term, and I know many schools still use it, but rookie, you can't you can't call students rookies anymore at least at the collegiate level, yeah. because that's considered a hazing term. You're putting a label on someone that's separate from the rest of the ensemble. So, you know, and there's far extreme uh, items that's on that list. Sure, sure. But I think a lot of that is something that's really different than than what I used to teach and also what's different from, from the public yeah. school setting. And I know, not saying that that doesn't happen in high school and so forth, but just to the degree um, you know, even my time here, this is going to be my seventh year next year, just finishing my sixth. And the first couple of years, we didn't talk about this. We didn't have to. There wasn't an awareness that this was out there. Well, I'm, so, I'm glad you're bringing it up, too. I mean, this could be a, an old episode yeah. on its own. Because, it, it, you know, we're dealing with children who yeah. also happen to be artists. And, you know, it's it's yeah. it comes up. And, yeah, it comes up at the high school level, too. Yeah. You know, same deal. And, yes, we do have guidance counselors, but, you know, the... A lot of kids look at their music teachers as guidance Absolutely. counselors, and you know. So, yeah. Um, well, I know we're about out of time here with you. I, I think you got you got a, a last question. I have a bunch more questions, but you've got yeah. to pick somebody up in about ten. Okay. Minutes. Yeah, so, <laughs> we so, believe you. Yeah. Well, I, I was just going to ask. I mean, real quick, some highlights of the band mm -hmm. since you've been here, and um, th this is a serious question: what your goals are then? Yeah. After that, you know, I mean, you're. Yeah, a young guy that's done some great things. And well, thanks. You know. um, yeah, we're really excited about where you know the marching line has always had a great reputation, and I so much is due to what Pete Griffin has done, Tom Caneva, Gary Smith, Kissinger. Um, I'm the eighth director of the marching line in our entire history, dating back to 1867, latter part <laughs> of 1868. So that's that's like huge all in itself. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not worthy. How do you how do you you know not compete, but how do we keep up and maintain sure, so much sure. of this? So I feel like we've come a long way, and this past year was kind of a defining moment for us of kind of breaking the 
the the cookie cutter halftime show, and we included guest artists. So having the Canadian Brass, having Greg Potter from the Buddy Rich Band, Doug Yo from the Boston Symphony Orchestra was something so different than what we've done. We're not going to do this for every show by any means, but I think it's something that we're going to continue to look at sure. in terms of innovating how we can incorporate and bring the audience into the perspective of, of what we do. Um, you know, the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade was an absolute highlight. Mm-hmm. I never in my wildest dreams ever thought it was going to turn out that great. You know, we've all planned trips and it's exhausting, but we do it for the right reasons because we want our students to have a great time. And that was one of those trips that just everything, everything went perfectly. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't know how this happened, but man, <laughs> someone's living clean. It's not me, but <laughs> but looking at that, um, our students absolutely loved it. And that was such a highlight. I don't know how we're going to outdo ourselves with that. Um, we're working on it. Um, we've got another trip planned to Ireland. The Ireland trip that we did before that um, was fantastic. Uh, we kind of broke some ground with doing a performance, and this is some of the differences we can do at the collegiate level compared to public schools. Uh, we went to the Guinness factory after the <laughs> Ireland St. Patrick's Day parade, and we did a performance there. It's like seven different floors, and we kind of did a theater in the round type performance, and the folks there at Guinness just went crazy. Wow. And uh, everyone got a pint afterwards. You know, It was, it was fantastic. So we're uh, headed back in spring of 2018 as we celebrate the sesquicentennial of the Illinois bands, so 150th year of Illinois bands, which is pretty, you know, uh, historic. Yeah. Um, and we've got some great performances planned there. We're going up to Belfast. We're going to play where the Titanic was built. We're playing in some of the castles. So some pretty groundbreaking things there and doing some things different. We were the first collegiate marching band to travel to Ireland to do the St. Patrick's Day parade back in 1992. So this will be our eighth trip. So, you know, I'm very proud of a lot of those things. And I think when we look at the day-to-day operations, I'm most proud of our students. I think one of the things that we've done, we've always had great musicians here, but something that the alums, you know, all of our alums, wherever, wherever they come from, they always say, well, you know, back in the old days, the band really did this. And I got a lot of that my first couple of years. And Have you heard that in Joliet? <laughs> uh, daily from myself. Daily from myself. Know. Right, right. I'm right there with you, too. This is the first time, and it's it's very humbling, and it, we're not going to settle with it by any means, but many of our alums that have been some of those kind of bigger critics along the way have said, I don't know if I ever would have made the marching Illini with the, the level that it is now. Um, we've got more all-state players, and not that that defines being a great player, sure, but sure. oftentimes it does in our programs. We've got more all-state players in this program than we do in the entire School of Music. Wow. Um, and we've got some folks that unfortunately haven't made the marching Illini, but are in our top concert ensembles. Hmm. Backwards, really backwards. I don't talk about that a lot with Dr. Peterson by any means, and I usually pretty hush hush about that. But I think this is one area where you look at 20% of our population is made up of music majors. The other 80% come from every academic discipline on this campus. Hmm. The number of engineers has grown exponentially. We had 97 engineers out of 375 in the band last year. So when we look at, I think as public educators, one of my biggest missions was always to tell our students of, I just hope more than anything, that after you graduate from this high school, that you go on and you continue to play. And this is something you can do for a lifetime. I know many of you are involved in sports and things like that, but you know, I'm the prime example. That sophomore year playing, I wanted to play baseball. Line drive to third base, shattered femur, boy, 
band band's awesome <laughs> <laughs> never thought it was going to be this you know never in a million years but it turned out it's a great yeah right right that was never the plan but anyway you know looking at that i'm really proud of the musicianship um where do we go from here I think that's the big question. I think one of the big things, and we, we had our first student staff meeting um, last week, and the big question is, how are we going to reinvent ourselves? We're going into 150 years of some really great traditions and some really great history, but are we going to be a program that constantly looks in the rearview mirror, that looks at the, you know, uh, kind of the exhaust of the, the program before and say, wow, we were really great back then. Or are we going to continue to try and push the limit and get back on the front edge of innovation and so forth? So I think that's kind of where we are. And I think that's a big question of where collegiate marching bands are to stay relevant when we're fighting DJs and yeah. everything else. So we've, well, got, I, we've got some big questions. I want to say thank you for inviting us into your office. Yeah, and this is my, yeah my first trip into the Harding Band Building. There is so much history. I think we're going to... Just walk the halls for a little Please while. Please do. We're just going to take Please a do. few things. Yeah, yeah, hey, you know what? So. And we have to do a part two at some point. We have some We'd love to. Thank, Thank you for your time. Much. Definitely.